This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we discuss Vanderbilt's 24-21 comeback victory on the road at Colorado State behind the leg of Joseph Bullivus. Big leg Joe gets it done for the Commodores. Win one for team one. Clark Lee had to hold back his smile after the game, but the Commodores get it done. 24-21 in Fort Collins. We recap the entire game. Coming up, we give you our three main takeaways and discuss how many heads this might have turned within Vanderbilt circles. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 106. It is September 13th, 2021, a couple days after the anniversary of 9-11, and the Commodores got a massive win. Not on that day. It was early, very early that next morning. Uh, but we are always powered by the great folks at Alaco Finewood Floors. And, Will, it has happened. The streak is over. Commodores defeat Colorado State behind the leg of Joseph Bullivis, 24-21 final score. And, I mean, this is the biggest weight lifted off Vanderbilt fans' backs in a while. There's a lot of stats to get to, a lot to get to, but, man, they did it. We are going to do, Billy, our absolute best to not make this reaction podcast just a, a exultation of happiness because me and you have not reacted to a podcast reacted to a game yet doing this podcast in a year and a half with a win and this is the first time so this is uncharted waters for the door report and really what this did and we'll get into this more in detail when we go over the keys to the game and the takeaways and, and moving forward what Clark Lee and team one can take away from this game but this really just cuts off the Derek Mason era and it's officially the Clark Lee era because yeah. that losing streak had extended back to 2019, a full season with Derek Mason, including the previous season before the COVID year. So this just feels like a huge weight lifted off those guys and we can finally move forward. And the facial expressions of all the players, Ken Seals after the mm. game, just, uh, you could tell, you could really relate to that. And, and so could many fans. Uh, well, we do have a couple notes to kind of get to before we recap this game though. Kyle Shermer uh, has been signed to the practice squad in Washington. So uh, he's getting an opportunity there uh, with that crazy quarterback situation. He'll be, uh, I'm not even sure who he's fighting with there. Maybe a couple other XFL guys, but uh, we got also Joseph Bullivis. He earned co-special teams player of the week along with Parker White from South Carolina who hit a game-winning kick there against East Carolina so uh, we'll touch on that a little bit the Georgia kickoff is set noon eastern time SEC network uh, well we're not going to talk any at all about that uh, you know we're, we're going to take it game by game uh, but that is the kickoff there uh, against Vanderbilt and Georgia well before we get to breaking news don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. It's time to recap Colorado State. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, 
their brothers Graydon and Chapman, and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in Westmead. The recycling dudes recognized the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, Will. I know I just said we're going to recap Colorado State, but before we get into that game, there's a lot to get to there, so much uh, to talk about. But the Georgia kickoff is set, as I just mentioned, noon Eastern time on SEC Network. Uh, get that over with as, as early as possible. Vanderbilt, it's their first time actually being on one of those major networks, SEC Network, ESPN. Um, but, yeah, that is the kick uh, there. It'll be in, in Nashville, West End. Uh, Georgia fans will be there in force, but hopefully Vandy fans are able to uh, counteract that a little bit better than, uh, than what we saw in that season opening game. Uh, we'll see about that. But, Will, Joseph Bullivus has been named SEC Co-Special Teams Play of the Week. Not surprising. Uh, this guy made a 38-yard field goal uh, for the win. And, and, Will, we didn't talk about, you know, throughout – I mean, we haven't talked about anything yet, but the, the nerves <laughs> of that. Of, of that moment. I mean, this is a guy that is a fifth year senior. He made a lot of big kicks at Alabama, but he also missed a lot of big opportunities there. So for him, it's gotta be cool. And it, he had an electric quote after the game. He said, they wrote the letter. I just sealed the envelope. And, and I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a guy that, that is confident and I'm excited to see what else he can do rest of the year. Yeah, the knock on Bolivis, which is why he's not still kicking at Alabama, is he has missed some pretty big kicks that were pretty makeable throughout his career there. But he's definitely been in bigger spots at Alabama with larger national football implications. But, man, this kick right here with the weight on this team at that moment, it's hard to have more individual internalized pressure on one kick than was on that 38-yard kick. And it was kind of funny, the reaction from Clark Lee, the cameras immediately panned to him, and he just turned around, took off his headset, and started talking to an assistant coach with the Bill Belichick-style winning. So all business. That was that, that, all business. That was a very different reaction yeah. than any of the previous coaches may have had after that kick from Bolivis. And the announcers on CBS Sports Network, Corey Chavis, former Commodore, I yeah. thought he was really, really good as the he color was. commentator. I'd never heard him do that before, so I was very impressed by him. But on that last kick, my only gripe with the announcing crew is they made that last kick sound like it barely snuck in the upright. That <laughs> I mean, thing it made it. It made it in on the other camera angle by three, four feet from the left upright. It broke super late going into the it net was, in the back. It, it was. It, it was, was in. It was, but he was like, and it just barely sneaks in. And then they showed the other angle. And yeah, you know, it wasn't right down the middle, but it certainly didn't almost hit the up. Yeah. Hit, the other, hit the the other angle helped a lot. That, that yeah, the angle. first angle, I thought it was that close. And he, he really stressed me out whenever he started saying, <laughs> and it's going left. But I didn't believe that, that, that they had actually won this game until the moment that final buzzer sounded. I just forward kept waiting pass. for, I did, yeah, that forward pass. Once he initially, he threw that on the last play of the game from Colorado State. It, I just stood up in my living room and kind of raised my arms in celebration. It just the reality of the situation hit me that I was going to see a win for the first time since 2019. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, the, the game was crazy. Couldn't have scripted it uh, any differently. Um, in any crate in a crazy fashion. I mean, just just an incredible victory. Um, but will there's a lot to clean up. Uh, there, that Clark t Clark said that he said after the game we celebrate we enjoy it we learn from it 
we move on. We got to do that quickly because we got a good team coming into Nashville next week uh, in the Stanford Cardinal who just beat USC. So, uh, well, just incredible. Before we get to uh, a deep dive into the into the recap, some of the some of these notes are incredible to look at. Alan George, um, Vanderbilt's uh, information director there, uh, with really all sports. He had a cool tweet: the last win for the Commodores, six hundred fifty nine days, twenty nineteen versus ETSU, last road win. 2018 at Arkansas, over a thousand days. Last non-conference road win, over a thousand days again. Of course, 2017 at MTSU. That's crazy wow. to think about. And then their last non-conference road win with a flight was over nearly 3,000 days ago, 2013 at UMass. So history has been made, and I think that's an underrated aspect of this game and this win because yes, it's Colorado State, a Mountain West team, but it's never easy going on the road flying up to altitude and, and playing a team like that on the West Coast. And, and, Will, James Franklin was a guy that that loved talking to his team about these records and kind of uh, talking about the meaningfulness of these games. Looking at that, those are crazy. I mean, that that's unreal to, to, to think about some of those stats. It's This has been a very, very tough stretch to be a Vanderbilt fan. I will say some of those sound a little worse than they might otherwise sound because often Vanderbilt is not flying or traveling to away yeah. non-conference games that are against anyone less than a Notre Dame-type team. So I also don't understand why Vanderbilt goes to these away games. If someone can explain why the Vanderbilt Commodores from the Southeastern Conference are flying to Fort Collins, Colorado and playing in front of a 15,000 seat stadium that's 10% full, then please enlighten me. Because I don't understand why Vanderbilt, I understand they are not the traditional SEC team with the traditional prestige of everything, yeah. but they still should not be flying to play a Mountain West Conference team thousands of miles, a thousand miles away. That just should not happen. So I don't understand that whatsoever, but it's amazing the weight that this team had on them mm -hmm. on things that they almost all had almost nothing to do with. Yeah. Um, obviously, Ken Seals was there and these guys were there during this last season in 2020, but that season was a little abnormal. And I would say a lot of that was shrouded in the fact that Derek Mason was going to be fired at the end of that season. And there was little doubt that was going to happen. And you could feel that team kind of fade away from him and kind of lose that grit that he had slowly developed through 2016 through 2018. But this just, I cannot, the reactions in the locker room and seeing the faces of the players and AD Candace Story Lee and seeing the hug Clark, Clark Lee had mm -hmm. with Tommy McClelland and seeing Ken Seals running off the field smiling for the first time, you could see how just that he had the weight of the world on his shoulders mm -hmm. and the moment those clocks hit triple zero you can just see it lifted off of him and saying okay now we can finally move forward right. so that was incredible to see billy and i'm just kind of lost for words at this point <laughs> yeah just like etsu we're still speechless but uh in a, in a lot better yeah, way in a, in a very different way still speechless <laughs> very different way hopefully uh we, we can become unspeechless after one of these games but that's what it does to you that's what a new team does to you a new coaching staff vanderbilt now one and one colorado state falls to zero and two stat report will um and and i think what jumps out to me is ken seals uh 23 of 27 of 42 238 yards two touchdowns, no interceptions, no interceptions. And that's what you look at. And, and a lot of Vanderbilt fans coming into this game, you know, that, that I talked to, they said, let's just see a clean game. Let's see a clean game. Let's see a more confident Ken Seals. And that's what they got. 
They got a guy that, that was playing with a chip on his shoulder, and he came ready to play. He came ready uh, to go out there and show what he's made of, and he did. He played with heart, and that quarterback sneak was – those aren't easy. You know, that quarterback sneak is a tough play. He found a gap there on the left side, and he squeezed in. Uh, so, again, congrats to Ken, him, uh, Ken Seals, on that victory. Uh, Ramon Davis, though, had a solid performance, especially when they needed those extra yards leading up to Bullifus's kick. 17 carries, 77 yards, averaged uh, four and a half yards. Uh, Rocco Griffin also got in for some good time, nine uh, carries for 24 yards. The receivers will. They, the stats are similar, but you can just Very tell. Very different performances. Yes, you can just tell on the field that they played a whole lot better, and, and they high-pointed the ball a lot more often. Chris Pierce is a monster. Uh, four catches, 76 yards. Cam Johnson had a big day, not as many yards, but he had nine catches, 66 yards. And a lot of his catches were really important uh, at important spots of the game. And Will Shepard, four catches, 42 yards. He had a nice grab uh, there on that far sideline. Uh, if you're watching the game on TV mm-hmm. defensively, will Anthony orgy had a big day, 13 total tackles. He had six solo tackles. Uh, Ethan and I would Barr, like to say before you get to more, we need to contact ESPN. Because this week I was looking for it. They are still listing his stats under Alston Orgy on ESPN. Are for they the really? second week at second week in a row, ESPN is wow. listing his stats under Alston. You should give him a call. That's, that's I should. I'll, I'll let me let me let's get Peter Burns on the phone and let him know. <laughs> let him know they, they need to get it together over there. They need to get that stat guy over here now because that's not <laughs> Alston Orgy. Uh Deshaun Jerkins had nine tackles, two solos, uh Brayden DeVault Smith, four tackles. Davion Davis, Michael Owusu, and Gabe Judy Lawley, also four tackles. But, Will, I think one of the bigger plays in that game, one of the bigger momentum carriers was Jalen Mahoney's interception. And that was a play that really energized that sideline. The guy, you finally saw this team able to celebrate a defensive play like that. And that's the first interception since Gabe Judy Lawley's one interception last season. And, and that's the key for this team. If they could get takeaways – really the key for any team, but this team in particular, they can get takeaways. And that was at midfield. That, that was, that was a huge play. Um, so again, give credit to him for that play. Uh, but that's really the stat report will. And now for the post game, I'd love to get our three main takeaways. And we've, we've done this. We did this uh, for, <laughs> during, after the ETSU game, we had about 10 total takeaways, but now uh, we're going to shorten that list a little bit. We're going to try to consolidate the list. <laughs> we have three main takeaways each, and a lot of these will coincide. A lot of us, uh, are, you know, a lot of these will be the same. Uh, but, Will, for me, number one, and you might be shocked with me when I say this, is special teams. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I, I say it's the main takeaway because without those punts from Harrison Smith, and the kick from from Justin um, from Joseph Bulibus and just the pure guts and and I know the punt return coverage wasn't great, but those punts were game changers. I mean, the, the field position was flipped so many times. You could argue Colorado State's punter played a you know even if just as good if not better. He had about an eighty eight yard punt that was monstrous. One of the most in that was one of the few times I've seen the ball sail over the punt returner's head. And I sat there on TV and said he was in the right spot and made yeah. the right read on the ball, immediately started running back, and it still sailed five to ten yards over Cam Johnson's head. And he did it, a good that was one that was one of the most amazing punts I've ever seen. I understand they're at high altitude, but still. That was unreal. Cam did a really good job though of kind of following it and being mm-hmm. careful and, and getting as many yards as he could out. When he when he went to pick that when he went to pick that ball up, my heart mm-hmm. skipped a beat because I was like, just let it go. It's it's just yeah. just let it roll. It just at this point, man, yeah. they he, completely flipped the field. But he did do a good job of maintaining 
I think he probably saved 10 to 15 yards of field position on that. Yeah, I was going to say he made, he made as much out of it as he could, and, and he's a really smart player. He really is. That showed um, kind of his experience at that position. I, I, on the special team, sorry to interrupt you, we were talking about Cam Johnson. I think it's something that Vanderbilt fans have not had very often. We had DJ Moore, incredible punt returner, mm -hmm. but San Earl Bennett, incredible punt returner. Before that, since then, it's been very, every Shaky. time there's a punt in, Every time there's a punt in there, I know I am very, very nervous. This year, I do not feel that way with Cam Johnson back there. Mm -hmm. So we may not have the expectation of he's going to bust a big punt return, but I'm very, very confident he's going to field the punt and not create a game-changing turnover. So that's another major key that yeah. goes with your special teams there. Yeah, and, and Ken Seals, I know he was named player of the game, deservedly so, but but without this special teams unit and what they did behind Justin Lustig, who has done a really good job with that group, yep. um, yes, punt coverage needs to improve slightly, but that can be fixed. Uh, they played really well. And, and so that's my number one takeaway, Will. Um, I'm sure yours might be a little bit, uh, a little bit different than mine, though. <laughs> I bet you can pretty much guess what my number one takeaway from this game is. And it's very, very simple. It's something I talked about for a very long time in the preview, in the post game of the ATSU game, and that is the QB rotation and QB play. And that goes alongside what is pretty much what we talked about, which was turnover. So that's, I know that's a spread out number one key takeaway, but it all kind of goes together. Mike Wright did not play. Now in the post game interview, Clark Lee mentioned something that it was due to the shoulder injury that he had. I really hope that is not the case. Because exactly what we came on here and talked about, Billy, is that it's very difficult for these quarterbacks to get in rhythm mm -hmm. when you're truly rotating these quarterbacks, even if it, if it was 60-40 Ken Seals to Mike Wright in that ETSU game. You saw Ken Seals not be able to get into a rhythm until the last two minutes of that first half. Do you know if they were rotating quarterback play 50-50, what the last two minutes of that first half would be? I don't want to know. That, that would be the end of the game, Billy, in case you were wondering. So <laughs> thank God they did not rotate quarterbacks. And Ken Seals was able to get into that rhythm because you allowed him to play through some adversity of poor offensive performance early. He finally started getting into a rhythm with Chris Pierce and Cam Johnson, who were complete non-factors in game one. And it built confidence into that defense that then led to that Jalen Mahoney interception and, and energized play from Davion Davis, Malik Langham, Elijah McAllister, and created the, the momentum that led to this one. And you are leading to my second key, which is defense. I mean, this defense, especially in that second half, they woke up. They played with intensity, and they played with a unified presence. I mean, you could tell that Davion Davis, of course, leads that group. But when he's on and when you have Elijah McAllister bringing length up there and, and, and disrupting the passes and the secondary played really well, too. You know, they definitely um, yeah, I, I didn't really see uh, many broken coverages other than that first drive uh, with that secondary. Ethan Barr, Anthony Orgy, they looked uh, they looked very, very committed to stopping that run. And, and you could tell the obvious halftime adjustments from Coach Minter. You could, you, mm -hmm. you could, I mean, those were evident. Um, so that my number two takeaway is the defense, the way they played, the way they brought energy in that second half. And I know special teams, the leg of Joseph Bullivis won that game directly, but without that defensive effort, they don't win that game. And the way they played in the second half, that showed a lot of Vandy fans what they're really made of and what they can do. Uh, because Clark Lee's leading this unit. I know Jesse Minner has his handprints on it, but Clark Lee has a huge say in this defense. He's a defensive guy, and he's one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. I know he's not the coordinator, but, man, you could tell kind of the impact that he's had on that defense 
and the way they played because man they, they deserve they deserve all the credit in the world for that yeah and you can't give enough credit to a defense that came out in the first I don't know, 28 minutes of this game and looked almost completely lost for the most part. I mean, I, I think we didn't run through a detailed uh, breakdown of the play-by-play, drive-by-drive of this game, but Brian Carlson on thedoorreport.com wrote an incredible recap article. If you want to see kind of drive-by-drive the momentum shifts of this game, because it truly was a tale of two different games completely. Mm-hmm. Colorado State dominated the first 28 minutes. Vanderbilt dominated the next 20 minutes. And then it was pretty even at the end of the game. So it was an incredible game if you were able to stay up until 1 a.m. Very entertaining late at night. But it was pretty crazy, the swings of Colorado State completely dominating statistically in the first 28 minutes. And then Vanderbilt, I believe, only gave up 60 yards of total offense to Colorado State from the 28-minute point on um, into that second half until that last drive where they, of course, tied up the game on the pass to Trey McBride on fourth down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another thing the defense was dealing with. We had Quay Holmes last week who was on uh, ETSU in an FCS program, but a talent at running back you really don't usually see mm-hmm. at that level, and they had the game plan for him. And then you saw this week, you probably saw what is going to be a first or second round draft pick, maybe the first tight end selected in the NFL draft in Trey McBride and his Colorado State team. So that's a tough matchup for anyone. Mm -hmm. And I know he had eight catches for 114 yards and made some incredible plays, but they really limited the the big playability of anyone else on that Colorado State offense. And you can tell the halftime adjustments, like you mentioned, were were incredible and, and clearly confused Colorado State. Right, there's the same takeaway. Number two, both. Well, that's not my that's not my number two. I was about to get into it, Billy. My my number two is actually pretty similar, but it's the halftime adjustment simplified game plan, which I just kind of went into. But the main thing I want to focus on is the offense. Um, and what you saw in that last two minute drive from Ken Seals, you finally saw them go into what Ken Seals was getting comfortable with last year, which are the quick hit plays to Cam Johnson to Chris Pierce. When he sees one on one coverage and is able to identify it, you can see him getting into that rhythm of communication with them. And the ball placement was much, much better. And then you saw the same type of game plan, really, even though there were some miscommunications you saw between Ken Seals and Cam Johnson on a couple third down plays, two in a row, actually, um, on two straight possessions. But the game plan adjustment, you could clearly see it was a concerted effort to simplify and have things coming towards the middle of the field and just allow these guys to make one-on-one plays. Yeah, my third takeaway is very similar to your second, and it's it's only Ken Seals. It's simply mm. what he was able to do. I mean, what a response from that kid after a, a, a horrific showing against ETSU. We'll we'll put it we'll put it very plainly right there. I mean, he answered the bell in every way. He played a clean game, just like Fanny fans have been asking for. Um, of course, Will, you just talked about there are a lot of things to still clean up, you know, like always. But man, he took a big step forward. I think just mentally for him going on the road and you know what we what we believe is not going to be the toughest atmosphere they play in um but his facial expressions after the game that's all you needed to to see to know that this this meant a lot to him and and this this you know all the complaints that vandy fans have and in regards to the long fade routes towards the sideline i don't like as often as they're going to them but I don't blame Ken at the same time for giving his receivers a chance to make plays. This I, this on that, Billy, before this was a little different than the ETSU. I griped a lot about the fade routes against ETSU because they were unnecessary and it was not the weakness of that ETSU defense. It's not what they needed to do. 
this was the same type of game plan. They threw those same passes, but Colorado State, especially in that second half, most I believe both of their starting cornerbacks were off the Ow. field. Yeah, and they were already that was kind of the, their strength was in the front seven, and their weakness was in that secondary. Mm-hmm. So this week, I wanted to see the fade routes and one-on-one coverage. Last week against ETSU, that was the strength of their defense, and they had a very weak front seven, and you were clearly more athletic on the inside and larger on the inside. I wanted to see more of those stretch run plays. So this week, I know I know, I came on here and griped a lot about the, the play calling last week, but I really do think they capitalized, even though they got a little conservative at the end, those fade routes I will not be griping about no. this week. And I'll, in the preview podcast, we'll get to if I want to see those against Stanford. Yeah, and I mean, you saw multiple times, Will, where Chris Pierce and Will Shepard had a step on their defender, and they went up and high-pointed the football mm-hmm. like they're taught, and, and Ken gave him a chance. Even on that Chris Pierce play, that was a low throw, not the best. But he knows if he gets it in the vicinity of Chris Pierce, who is an animal, he's going to find a way to catch it. And I'm, I'm shocked that play wasn't on SC top 10 because that's one of the better catches you'll see all year. Um, and Will, like you said, it's something you didn't see at all against ETSU. Obviously, you saw those attempts, but that was not what, what the game plan should have been. Um, and Will, this offense, again, in total, they showed their potential, and Joey Lynch's play calling improved as the game went on. You saw he was trying to get settled in as to what Colorado State was going to show him and give credit to these coaching st- this coaching staff. I mean, Joey Lynch made the adjustments he had to make. So did Jesse Menner. And the energy, it was a complete energy shift. I mean, totally, in, in, not only offensively, but defensively, and this entire team. You know, you saw an energy shift and an, an in- intensity shift because of what Trey McBride did on the sideline right before halftime. I'm sure he's kicking himself after that. Um, after pushing, I don't even know who it was. It was a guy with a jersey, red jersey on, um, calling the the, mm-hmm. the offensive plays. I'm pretty sure. So just a boneheaded play, and that's something. That's one of the calls Vanderbilt usually doesn't get, uh, but they got that call. And man, that was a that was a huge, huge uh, momentum shift in the game because that woke up, as Corey Chavis said, that's probably going to wake wake up a sleeping giant. And he was right. <laughs> I mean, this team, you finally saw them take that personally and play with a lot more grit and toughness. And that, that's what I like. So my second, my last takeaway, Will, is, is Ken Seals in particular. But uh, again, I like what you said about the offense also. Yeah, my last takeaway is on the defensive side of the ball. We're rotating back and forth. It worked out that way. <laughs> we didn't tell each other the keys beforehand, but it's kind of worked out. Um, on, my key is within the defense on that defensive line. You saw for a couple quarters the potential that this defensive line has with their length and their ability to disrupt what this what the opponent wants to do. Davion Davis for a two quarter stretch was an animal. Mm-hmm. He was he's not the longest guy in there on the defensive line, but he knocked down a couple balls in a row. You had uh, Elijah McAllister coming in, in and actually he was actually making an impact even though he still only had three tackles in the game. He was still able to make an impact as far as getting hit that length in those long arms because I believe he's 6'5". Mm-hmm. And they were listing off the length of some of these guys, Malik Langham, Lorenzo Sergers. Um, they were saying it about Elijah McAllister, and Alex they were constantly 6'4". Yeah. yeah, Alex Williams. We saw an Alex Williams sighting. He, yes, I believe, had a couple tackles, but he really created a lot of havoc in the backfield on that left side uh, rushing the passer. And I didn't even realize that was him. I believe he's number 80. I, I was expecting to see him in a much lower number. I was thinking, I was very thrown off when I saw him at number 80. But this defensive line, man, they are long. 
And Mm -hmm. if they're able to play how they did, especially against a quarterback that's not necessarily the traditional six foot four, six foot five, able to see over the line, I think for the remainder of the season that that is going to be an emphasis is clearly they're not able to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. But if they are able to collapse that pocket and get their hands up, you saw that really disrupt what Colorado State wanted to do. So seeing more of that throughout the rest of the year is my last key positive takeaway from the game. And you saw a lot more mixed coverages. You saw some linebackers coming in there. You saw the anchor, Derricky Wright, get back there too as well uh, sometimes. You, you talked about Michael Owusu, but Davion Davis, I mean, he showed what he's made of. He had, I think he blocked three passes from Centeo, mm. and that really flustered him. And, and you could tell Centeo uh, begin to, you know, kind of start being aware of that and saying, okay, how am I going to, how am I even going to get passes off? These guys are long um, as ever. So again, that's a, that was a big improvement. So there's the three takeaways. Uh, well, we're going to kind of, you know, we, we kind of go wherever we want now. Uh, and, and I think, <laughs> I think real quick, what I want to say is in a very underrated part of this game that I don't think a lot of people talked about um, because of how, how, you know, how unnoticeable it might've been, but the strong runs from Ray Davis leading up to Bullifus's kick that probably helped him out 10, 15 yards. I mean, the, the, his, his effort and determination to get as many yards as possible, that field goal would have been a lot longer uh, without those runs from Davis. And then, I mean, how about the clock management and, and the calm nature of Clark Lee in those final two minutes? No panic. You didn't see any, anybody, you know, freaking out about what's going on. Nothing stupid. Just run the ball, center the kick, and set up big leg Joe for a 38-yard field goal. The very smooth execution that you did not see any of in that first year from Derek Mason. And so that, that's what I noticed, Will. That's what I noticed there. I was, I was looking at the simplified nature of Coach Lee and this staff, not freaking out, just staying calm and doing whatever you can to get the win. Again, they, there are some complaints about playing too conservatively there, especially in the fourth quarter. But that final two-minute drive was, was – was good to see and 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 credit to the coaching staff for that before i get into any of my the comments of this wherever we want to go segment since we don't have the interview reaction segment two portion so uh, we can actually talk a little bit more about our thoughts on our actual thoughts on the game yeah interviewing each other i want to say that i am i am trying to not be completely just positive on everything because right. this this was a great win. It was a great building block for Clark Lee and this team. And it, they showed an incredible amount of grit coming back from what looked like a game that they easily could have just said, oh, this is going, this is going south very quickly. Again, down 14, nothing. Colorado State's driving again yeah. with the ball. And you're sitting there in the second quarter thinking, here we go again. Next week we have Stanford, then we play Georgia. And the team could have just completely given up there, Mm -hmm. and they did not. And I was not a fan jumping to what you were just discussing in the fourth quarter. As a Vanderbilt fan, I'm never a fan of playing for a field goal. Um, They executed exactly what they wanted to do, and it worked out. In the future, I would prefer not to settle for the 40-yard field goal or 38-yard field goal because I can just see so many ways that can go south. Mm -hmm. And... That is maybe just the pessimist Vandy fan in me, but the moment they started running that football and running down the clock, I just sat back on my couch like, we're going to overtime. Um, Fortunately, I was wrong, but they were a bit conservative in that fourth quarter, seeming to be trying to kind of run out the clock. Now, that may not be as true because 
there was an off a very questionable offensive pass interference call against Will Shepard uh, that would have really changed the complexion, I think, of how we look at them closing out that game. It was a beautiful pass from Ken Seals, beautiful veteran move from Will Shepard, what the announcers would have said if this was a superstar receiver in the NFL. They would have said, wow, that was an incredible yeah. veteran move from Julio Jones right there. <laughs> but it's Will Shepard. He plays for Vanderbilt. You're playing in Colorado State, and they called it. And it set Vanderbilt up on a third and 22 where they handed it off that to Ron huge. Davis, ended up punting there. And then they drove down the field and on fourth and goal, were able to hit Trey McBride on that touchdown pass. And I think everyone kind of sat there and said, oh, here we go. We were getting calls early in the game. Vanderbilt was getting calls early in the game that we were texting back and forth and saying, this feels odd. Vanderbilt does not usually get these calls that are kind yeah. of 50-50 going in, going in Vanderbilt's direction. And then it felt like, okay. Things are things are settling back down, got screwed over on a call. Then they kind of break our heart on fourth down. This is perfect. So um, if I, this team showed an incredible amount of resiliency. I say all that to say getting back on that field, they just tied the game up and Ken Seals able to lead them down into where they could make that play. And we were talking about this, Billy, immediately after on the Twitter spaces, conversations mm -hmm. we had and, at halftime. And um, and after the game, which I really enjoyed. I think those will be fun to do in the yeah. future, especially that halftime show. We're, we're, we're going to keep that going. Yeah, that was awesome. And especially at 1.30 a.m., we had some interesting speakers <laughs> calling in there. <laughs> um, it was a little bit of trial and error, but I think, I think that was a pretty fun time. Yeah, no, um, it was, it was, it was uh, pretty fun. And at halftime, we, we got up to about 60, uh, 60 listeners. So uh, we will definitely keep that going. But, Will, I, I really do um, – like what you said about there's still a lot to clean up and, and mm -hmm. coach Lee coach Lee emphasized that after the game. Um, but again, you, you know, again, you do want to celebrate, but boy, the, the second part of that third quarter and the first part of that fourth quarter were pretty boring football to watch. I mean, all you saw really was a punting fest and Vanderbilt, I, I, they got conservative, you know, that, that's, 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 you, you can argue, you know, yes, there was con some confusion there between Ken and Cam, uh, a couple times, and that was back-to-back -back drives. I think that hurt them uh, a lot because fourth quarter, it's going to be the Ken and Cam show. I, I don't, I don't care uh, what you say about anyone else. You know, obviously, you want to see Chris Pierce get the ball and Will Shepard get chances, but in those fourth quarter situations, when you have third and manageable, he's going to Cam Johnson. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. So, Will, I I want to see improvement in just the chemistry. And again, it's the second game of the season. I'm sure it'll shore up against Stanford. But the, the chemistry between offensive players, Ken and, Ken and Cam, uh, definitely needs to be improved. But defensively, keying on one guy, um, keying on one guy, Trey, your mic good there? <laughs> yeah, it's just getting it settled in. Don't have a high-quality setup here, over here yet. We haven't hit it rich yet. <laughs> Settling in. Uh, well, but keying on one guy defensively. Um, Trey McBride got loose there on about a 30-yard gain to set them up in the red zone, and then he got loose again. Um, off of that left side rollout from Todd Santeo. So defensively, that's the guy you need to stop, and they weren't able to stop him there late in the fourth quarter. So those are my two main cleanup jobs that I think Clark Lee needs to work on this week. Yeah, cleanup job. I think everyone in the stadium knew on fourth down they were trying to get the ball to Trey McBride there, and I believe it was a Wusu kind of yeah. bumped off and went after the quarterback there. And I was thinking, if you left – if you were only hit guarded one person on the entire field, you put 11 guys on one person and you had to choose who that would be, it would be Trey McBride. Yeah. And you let him completely loose wide open on fourth down. And I don't know how that happens. Yeah. They did a really poor job last week 
Yeah, and and Will, I think for me, it's it's another situation for for Trey McBride. Like he he is the guy. You know, I mean he he is their guy. And again, he didn't get he he had over hundred yards receiving. But for me, Will Vanderbilt and what they were able to do on him and limit him. I mean, he could have gotten to two hundred, but they they were able to contain him most of the game. But other than that last stretch, you really wanted to see that shore up. But I think the the mindset from a lot of Andy fans is Colorado State's going to tie this up. You know, you just yeah, kind of you felt that a little bit. Yeah, the train's gone. We're getting better. You, it's it's less post it's less post podcast editing for you. We don't have to edit out the train noise anymore. We're getting you better have, about you, you gotta, calling you gotta, it out and muting. You got to figure out the train schedule, man. There is no train schedule. The train comes <laughs> by when the train wants to come by, and that guy, whoever the conductor is, loves to announce his presence, especially <laughs> at two or three a.m. So uh, that ha- you haven't even gotten to gotten to hear that portion of it. But back to what I was talking about before, they've done a poor job two weeks in a row. Now the main key player on the opponent's team has had an incredible game against Vanderbilt's yeah. defense two weeks in a row. Even though the overall defense, I think, has performed about at what my expectations on the higher end were going into this season. I mean, they barely scraped by against Colorado State, but outside of that last desperation drive that was a lot different game plan and a lot harder to defend for Colorado State scoring that last touchdown, they gave up 14 points. It was all early in the game, and they were pretty dominant after that point. And they performed pretty well last week against ETSU, but they gave up 149 yards rushing to Quay Holmes on, I believe, just 25 Mm -hmm. carries. So that's two weeks in a row, and there are going to be a lot more key guys with a lot more talent um, coming in very, very soon once SEC plays start and beginning next week with Stanford, who just dominated number 14 USC last week. Um, And they're pretty tough to get a read on, and we'll go more into detail with that later on in the week. But key game plan on defense, I'm not really sure what they're doing as far as looking at the stars on the other team. I don't know if they're just saying, okay, we're just going to let them do them and just focus on everyone else. That could be actually a strategy and just say we're not going to treat them any different Um, because overall they did give up a lot of yards, but the defense wasn't awful. And and a lot of most of those yards were early in the game before the momentum was shifted. And another another thing we were talking about, I want I want to get your opinion on this. Most of the time, a lot of teams bring their energy once the defense gets into it and starts playing well, the offense then reacts and feeds off of that defense. I think this team is completely the opposite. Once that offense got going and Ken Seals drove them down at the end of that first half, which was a major, major key drive that ended with that 20-yard reception by Chris Pierce, and began that second half, you felt the energy pick up. And you felt it pick up on the sideline to end the half. You felt it on that first drive before Jalen Mahoney ever made that incredible diving interception. And then immediately Vanderbilt was able to capitalize on that by putting together a good drive. So the offense is what feeds into that defense. And Davion Davis is the straw that serves the drink there. You can Mm -hmm. see him once he started playing well, everything on that defensive line fed off of him. So I'll be watching him at the beginning of these games. And Vanderbilt cannot have slow starts. That cannot happen. And they had about the slowest possible start they could have against Colorado State. And fortunately, were able to bounce back. But there's nobody on the schedule besides UConn the rest of the season. They're going to be able to fall behind like they did and capitalize and, and be able to pull out a victory. And Vanderbilt needs to really sit back and thank that Colorado State kicker because oh those two gosh. missed field goals ended up looming very large at the end of that game. And they were horrible. I mean, they were, they were really, really bad. They were really, really bad misses. Um, and Co- Coach Lee talked about it too. He said his second missed field goal was a big momentum shift because the defense kind of they break they broke but didn't bend. Uh, or the, no, 
other way. They around. bent but didn't break. There we go. It'd be kind of hard to break but not bend. All right, uh, we're good. So they bended <laughs> but they did not break, um, and that's what that's what he liked about about that stretch there. And and, and again, that the field goal was was really badly missed. Um, but will on that topic the. I agree. I completely agree with you. This offense, they are the heart of this team. I know the defense right now is ahead of the offense. I think you you, you could say, but offensively, they go. The, the team goes as that offense goes, and and I think they it's kind of a wait and see approach. Here, all right, the offense is good. They found some chemistry. Now let's go step up and play some defense, and that's what happened throughout that second half. And. Well, I mean, you can look at it any way you want. This defense, again, I struggle saying the offense is the heart of this team. But, again, that defense, it's, they seem so fragile. You know, they, they, not, not in, a, in a toughness way, but, man, it's, it, it's so important that, that they are able to, you know, to, to key on that one guy. You know, because, obviously, in the SEC, you're going to see a lot more of that. Uh, you're going to see a whole lot more of that. So, I think with this defense, you're looking at it and saying, okay, if they're playing well, they are stopping the run. And they, they did, for the most part, stop the run in that second half. And, again, there, there were some gaps that opened, and that's, again, what Clark Lee is going to look at this week. But I think a key this week in practice, Will, is, uh, of course, you want to be able to start, you want to be able to start fast. But getting these guys to realize that we are a unit and, and special teams, punter was playing well, feeding off each other. Because that, that, going back to Coach Mason, that you didn't see a whole lot of that. You saw some inconsistencies there. Um, so for me, Will, this week of practice is is there's a whole lot still to shore up. Um, but for Stanford week, physicality is key, and we'll be talking a lot about that Thursday and Friday, uh, whichever day we, we record. But uh, again, for me, we talked about what we want to shore up. Uh, but in the end, Will, they get it done. And, and it was something it was something that we hadn't seen in a while. And you talked about it at the at the at the outset. But that embrace between Candace Lee, Tommy McClellan and Clark Lee was really special and, and cool to watch. Uh, rarely do you get to 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 get that behind the scenes look. And CBS Sports uh, did a really good job of focusing on that. I think it shows the care factor of those people and and, and how united and together they are with each other as an athletic department. It, it, it's a huge relief for them. I mean, it's the first win of Clark Lee's tenure and the monkeys off their back. And now they prepare for Stanford, a top 20 matchup between academic schools. The monkey is off their back, Billy. That, that's the best way to say it. And I think Bruno Reagan tweeted out our friend of the podcast, Bruno yes. Reagan tweeted out that it was amazing to watch Clark Lee in that postgame interview, trying to fight back the smile and keep the stoic image. Um, as you can clearly see, he's trying to fight back that soft yeah. smile coming across his face. So just the reactions after the game. And I don't think either of us, we're, we're very positive right now. We don't get to react to these wins very often. And I think Vanderbilt fans want to see positivity because there's so much negativity and it's been so much negativity for so long around this football program. It's nice to sit here and reflect back on something that was a success. And even though there are a lot of things Colorado State did that led to this win for Vanderbilt, they shot themselves in the foot, plain and simple. Vanderbilt capitalized on those mistakes. And they didn't, Vanderbilt by no means played the best game they're capable of. You saw about a quarter and a half of what Vanderbilt can do mm -hmm. on offense and defense. And I don't think we have these images in our head of Vanderbilt making it to a bowl game this season. I don't see this team with losing that ATSU game at this point getting past three or four victories. But what this does is say we can move forward now 
And I think you're going to see less of this streakiness that you've kind of seen from the team where it's two or three great offensive and defensive possessions in a clump and then five or six really bad ones because one bad thing happens and then images of the last 11 losses start flat or 10 losses start flashing into your head. Yeah. So I, I don't think it can be overemphasized how much this win allows this team to move forward and move away from the negativity that was pretty much the last year and a half of the Derek Mason era. Yeah, I'll say this, Will. If this team can string four quarters together, I'm not going to say they can compete with Florida and Georgia and, and probably Ole Miss for that matter, but I think they can compete with the Mississippi States and the Tennessees and the yeah, South this game, This game, I think, gave us hope that not necessarily they're going to pick up a bunch of SEC victories, but no. – that we're going to see and have the potential to see, which I did not have this feeling after the ETSU game, that they can be competitive with yes. these middle-level teams. Not saying they're going to win 50%, but they can be competitive down to the third and fourth quarter and can put themselves in the position to pull an upset win. Because outside of UConn, the remainder of the schedule, they're not going to be within a touchdown of any of these teams. Probably Stanford is going to be the closest mm -hmm. thing to a touchdown underdog they're going to be. And they're, I believe, opened up at a nine-point underdog. Yeah. And that's going to, I believe, escalate out past 10 points. I would be shocked if that does not end up over 10 in double digits. So they they have a tough road ahead outside of UConn. Um, but it's, it's going to be keeping that mindset of we just have to remain close, play tough, and put ourselves in position to to win, even if it doesn't necessarily happen, I think this team will be able to stay competitive because this is a big momentum builder for them. In that Twitter space, this conversation after the game, Will, we talked a lot about turning heads and, and how many heads this may turn, whether that's locally, nationally. Obviously, this made a change within that locker room, and that's what matters, and, and that's what you look at if you're Coach Lee. But uh, Jim Arnold, a guy we had on the podcast, Vanderbilt Hall of Fame punter, um, he tweeted out, he said, okay, Vandy peeps, this is a big win for the program. This will not be an easy season, but there was improvement from the first game. And you saw a little bit of that, even Jordan Rogers, a guy who mm -hmm. we all know was not necessarily on board with coach Mason was doing. He even tweeted out, he said, go doors, congrats to Vanderbilt and coach Lee. And this is the beginning of what we are going to see. This is the beginning of many more wins to come. And that turns heads. That That's something you see as a Vanderbilt person. You say, okay, we have an alum quarterback that was, you know, arguably the most important player in that James Franklin era uh, tweet out about our program. And, and that's something you look at and say, okay, you know, they're on the right track there. We talked about getting on the right track. I think they're safely on the train and, and they're back on the right track. Now, how far do they get off of that against Stanford? That's going to be something to watch. And, and so, Will, I'll leave you with this. Turning heads. How, how many heads do you think? I'm not going to ask for a direct number of Vanderbilt heads that this turned. And not, only, not even nationally. I'm not asking you that. I'm saying with Vanderbilt people, what does this win mean? It means more right now to me because of even so how they started out because you saw them start out how and this is the difference this is how i'm saying this is a defining moment and i know we're probably taking too much out of a win over colorado state who was eight and 20 in their last 28 games leading up to this but this is a defining moment for clark lee and the difference he's trying to create is once Ole miss came out against vanderbilt obviously an sec team after that terrible loss against temple in 2014 Ole Miss got off to a hot start and Vanderbilt crumbled. 
and they never bounced back. It was not a competitive game throughout, and it was another embarrassing loss. This team came out, Colorado State had the ball driving down the field, already up 14-0 in the second quarter, and that was when I sat there and said, this is more of the same. This is the same the same type of staff. They built up our excitement, but they're just going to crumble under this pressure, even against this opponent that's not extremely talented. And they did the opposite of that. And that is the complete mirror image opposite way that it could have gone and did go in 2014. And I think it drew back in some people like me that were very, very close to just pretty much packing it up for the season and just resigning ourselves to a one in 11 year. And I think there are a lot of Vanderbilt graduates. Jordan Rogers is the perfect example. He went on, of course, to the bachelorette and won the bachelorette and has a huge following associated Mm -hmm. with that SEC network analyst. And he's one of the guys you have never seen really tweet out about going to Vanderbilt and playing Mm -hmm. at Vanderbilt always underneath. He played quarterback in the SEC. He didn't play quarterback at Vanderbilt when when discussing things on SEC Network. When he's discussing things outside, he went to Vanderbilt University because that's a prideful thing that he graduated from Vanderbilt University. And I think there are a lot of people with large public platforms that want to be associated with this Vanderbilt football program and want to be associated with this university and, and take pride in being associated with it. Jordan Rogers being a prime example. But there's just been nothing to cling on to. Mm-hmm. And there's been no positivity to cling on to. It's hard to take pride in a program that loses 23 to 3 to an FCS program. But it's easier to take pride in a program that then the next week gets down 14 nothing in an away game and comes back and wins that game 24 21 in a last second field goal. That's something you can take pride in. And the more heads and more eyes that you get on this program on social media, you can see them begin to start following that Vandy boys route, which they built themselves off their social media presence and branding. So seeing that step in the right direction, I'm, they're a lot of steps away, but this is one step in the right direction. Speaking of social media, that video after the game of the team, just mobbing. That was Clark awesome. Lee, that that was, was awesome. It was so pure. Yeah. Clark was just smiling. He, he was <laughs> loving it. Uh, but Will, another Vanderbilt graduate I want to shout out is Clay Travis. Now he's mm. a huge Tennessee guy. And I know Tennessee fans, whenever he tweets out about Vandy, are never happy. But <laughs> he said, late night, this, is, this had to have been about a 1.30 a.m. tweet. He said, most won't notice because of how late it is. But Vandy lost by 20 to ETSU last week and just came from 14 points down to win at Colorado State. Pretty impressive win. And I, it's just great. All the comments are Tennessee fans. What are you even talking about? What, what is this? They beat Colorado State. But Will, I don't care how you put it. They lost to ETSU by 20 last week. Week two, what do they do? They come back and they come back from down 14 on the West Coast in high altitude at Colorado State. Again, they're not a, they're, they're not a top tier FBS team, but they are in the Mountain West and that's, that's not an easy place to play. Um, but they got it done and, and I think they turned more heads than Vandy fans think. And I'm not saying this is going to translate into a solid crowd against Stanford. I still think it'll be um, a pretty tough crowd in the stands. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much how many Stanford people come. But, Will, I, I, I really think this turned more heads than you think just because of how they did it and, and, and how they got it done. Coming down from 14, and that first half looked eerily similar to the way they started against ETSU, probably worse. this is this is exactly i think we did it we said it on the reaction after our initial uh a little bit 
hot-headed reaction to the TSU <laughs> loss. It was the reaction was this season is team one. It's a building block season. There were low expectations going in. They just need to do enough and create and and not lose all the positivity and do enough to maintain this recruiting class of guys coming in mm-hmm. and keep the momentum they have slowly started to build around this program. And a win like this does that. Um, and, and just having any type of recognition in a positive light because there has not been a lot of that. I mean, I I know we keep harping on it, but there there has been almost no positivity during a football season in a really, really long time. And there's been no positive tweets. There's been no positive posts. There's been no positive post-game pressers. There's been no positive reaction podcasts. There's been no positive mid midday radio sports local talk here in Nashville. We finally have it. And they just need to build this. They don't need to beat Stanford. But it's going to be really, really, really disappointing if they come out and are beaten by three-plus scores against Stanford and, and have a really disappointing showing with energy. I don't expect that to happen, but that cannot happen. Um, that, that's, that's about as key as anything. It's just not coming out and getting dominated by Stanford. They don't have to win, but they cannot get dominated. Now, big challenge coming up, Stanford uh, coming into Nashville next weekend. But, Will, looking across the country, there were some struggles again with FBS teams playing mm-hmm. lower level FBS teams. South Carolina had to kick a game winning field goal to beat East Carolina, an in state, not going to say rival, but an in state team who had some pride if they would have beaten, beaten South Carolina. Jacksonville State, an FCS team, beat <laughs> Florida State. I mean, that, that's, that says it all. College football is wild this year, and more than ever, you're seeing these type of upsets. Texas A&M beat Colorado by three, 10 to seven. And so, Will, I, I think we are, yes, Vanderbilt did not look good at all against ETSU, but this is an impressive win and there's no way around it. it I think, it, Billy, it what is. we're seeing, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, but you have the extra year of eligibility provided by COVID. And then you also have combined with that, the new rule of, transferring one time with no penalty whatsoever immediate eligibility immediate eligibility so you are seeing a lot of guys that would otherwise be at higher level programs that have either that were older and have transferred out because the new coaching staff or coaches are ready to move on to the newer younger players knowing that they only have a year or two left or you see some guys that would otherwise be going to programs that are a little bit higher tier on the prestige chart that are going to these lower mid-level FBS programs because there's simply not enough spots because you've, you've basically taken a full class of players almost and had them stay in college. There's only 85 available scholarships on each of these FBS teams. That's a limited number of spots to be filled. So you're seeing guys drop down level. And I think that's what's creating a lot of this dichotomy we're seeing. And you're seeing a lot more upsets and even not even upsets necessarily, but just tight games and games that you don't expect to be close. I think there's a lot more talent on these mid-level FBS teams, low-level FBS, and even FCS teams than you're used to seeing. And I know you're going to see a lot of uh, discredit going to Colorado State and saying, hey, they're just a bad team. They shot themselves in the foot. They've got three or four NFL guys on that roster, at tight end and at least one guy on, uh, what is the guy's name? Pascal, Pascal, I was mispronouncing it all night. Yeah, yes, on the defensive line. He impressed me all day. He will be a guy that will, even if he's not drafted, will be in an NFL training camp, and I would expect to at least make a practice squad. And there are a couple more players on that Colorado State defense as well. So they did have some NFL and higher-level talent on that field. I'm not saying their team as a whole did. But to say that Colorado State is just a crappy program is, is just lazy. 
um, because there's definitely some talent on that team. Yeah, I I still think they're a lower level Mountain West team, but the Mountain West is is FBS and and they have competed with teams like this. Um, So, Will, again, we we love to talk about turning heads, especially at at Vanderbilt. and, And they have turned heads, of course, in that locker room. The belief is there. And, you know, I mean, this is what they needed. They needed this jolt of energy and confidence heading into Stanford. And it really is going to be interesting to see down the road as you get further into this season and the strength and conditioning of this team, how does that play to their advantage? So that's it really for this episode. Will uh, again, Stanford week, huge week for Vanderbilt. We will talk about that game uh, either Thursday or Friday. We'll get a Stanford reporter on and, and, and talk about the keys to victory there. Uh, but Will, they did it. They're one and one. And uh, th- this team has a lot more belief now uh, than they did after that ATSU game because you saw a lot more energy and some confidence and some swagger, even more importantly. And th- this team, they, they showed that they're not going to take any shit from anybody. And Trey McBride gave them a little gave them a little jolt of energy and, and, and they fed off that. Yeah. Trey McBride poked the bear. Uh, but yeah. one thing before we end this podcast that I do want to say is warden jr. Appeared to be in some of those post-game pictures, the starting center for Vanderbilt. Yeah, Michael. Uh, yeah. He appeared to be on crutches. Um, he was injured during that game and he'd actually played well. You hadn't seen snap issues necessarily so far throughout the season, which had been nice, something you don't notice unless it's going poorly. Uh, so that may be a big loss. So keep an eye on that injury throughout the week. I don't think we have an update. Um, but but if we do find anything out or hear anything uh, in any of these press conferences throughout the week, that'll be something to keep an eye on going into the Stanford game. No doubt. Kiva Wesley could be up next uh, for, at that center spot. So it could be a big week for him. But that does it here for episode 106. Colorado State recap. Vandy gets the win 24-21 behind the leg of Joseph Bulovis. Team one gets win number one. We talk about Stanford coming up later in the week, Thursday and Friday. But you've been listening to episode 106 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Before we close out episode 106, the Colorado State recap after the Commodores defeated the Rams 24-21 to in Fort Collins. It's time now to give a big shout out to the company that makes our podcast all possible, Anchor. And we close it out as well with Alaco Fine Wood Floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Well, that does it for episode 106 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Big thanks to Will Byram, myself, Billy Derrick. You've been listening to the recap of Colorado State. Again, Vanderbilt gets the win 24-21 behind the leg of Joseph Bullivis. Coming up, we have the Stanford preview this Thursday or Friday. For myself, Billy Derrick, and Will Byram, you've been listening to episode 106 of The Door Report. Powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.